today's reading is 1 Corinthians 15, 51-58. It can be found printed in your worship guide or on page 1063 in the church-provided Bibles. This is God's Word. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please 
open up our hearts enough today and our ears and our minds to receive that grace and to enter again onto the path of restoration. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul, what he was doing was going from place to place, telling people about Jesus in the ways he could, synagogue, relationships through a job he had making tents. He did this in Corinth, and then he moved on. He came to Corinth, a group kind of formed. He was the teacher of the gospel to them, helping them know who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. There hadn't been any such thing as Christians in that city before then. And, and he spends time there in a church forms. And then he moves on, he leaves, and they experience social distance. He's far away for months and months. We've been away from each other in this kind of way for 14 months. And as those months kind of begin to uh, kind of add on to each other, this Corinthian church begins to experience some drift away from what he had taught them about resurrection. When you're a Christian, you'll always feel, no matter where you are, if you're in the church in one part of the world or another, in one time in history or another, you will feel that the society around you kind of pulls you on certain issues and certain things and pulls you away from what kind of you maybe were told is involved in the Christian faith. There's always this kind of pull by the culture around you, and so churches always experience this kind of drift and this need for kind of correction. So for the Corinthians, in their day and age, in their society, um, they had this they had this pull away from the belief in the resurrection because bodies were not viewed as something that were very spiritual. You know bodies. Stinky sweaty, gassy, you know, mucusy, rashy, digesty, germy, gurgly, pimply, aging, decaying bodies. That, that can't be very spiritual. And so there was this sort of almost, if you were a Christian, and you had been told about the centrality of this view of the resurrection. You know, it's even in the Apostles' Creed, belief in the resurrection from the dead. You would almost feel in Corinth, you'd almost feel it seems a little embarrassed by that belief. And so as those months stacked on top of each other of their teacher and preacher, Paul, being far away and only maybe a, a messenger would go back and forth here and there to let each other know how you were doing, it was easy to kind of yeah, let's adjust a little bit on the resurrection bit. And so Paul writes to them, and the whole chapter of 15 is about the resurrection and kind of shoring up and on multiple different kinds of points that are being made throughout the chapter. We're just catching the tail end, and it wasn't that many number of weeks ago that as we entered into the season of Easter that we dealt with the very beginning of chapter 15. 
And so, you know, he says he says things to try to help them understand the difference between the decaying bodies we have now and the restored resurrection bodies that will be um, that we look forward to when God renews all things. And so he says things like, um, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And on and on until that, that phrase that David read so well. For death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? So he's trying to say to them, look, yeah, your bodies are... are saying your bodies live under the curse of sin and decay yeah that's that's fine i guess thanks david and um so so he's saying in this passage you know yeah your bodies are on this kind of schedule of decay right now but god's plan and this jesus story that i that that we've heard about the jesus story is all about how god has entered in to the decay to reverse the curse of sin over this physical world. Sort of like, that's the story, is it starts with like kind of, things are really good, but then there's sort of this sin that enters and there's this curse amidst the, the bodies and there's decay and there's all this and, and God will come in to end this decay towards death and reverse the curse. And so on Easter, Christians declare to each other in triumph over the decay and over the curse of sin. We say, he is risen. And it's like this triumphant, hopeful thing. I know it was a little louder on Easter, but um, you get the idea. I know that like throughout the history, and sometimes still today, our culture's versions of Christianity, maybe not yours, but the ones that are out there and that have been out there, have often kind of drifted towards an escapism. Looking forward to, you know, this world is messy and broken and unspiritual, of course, but by and by, in some invisible spiritual place later on, the real stuff will happen. That's the reward. That's where we're going. Embracing a disembodied faith. So sometimes we have to ask ourselves questions like, just to make sure we're not going down that kind of drift and say, is your job in this physical world a part, maybe, of reversing the curse? Or is it just a place to kind of make some money and shore up a comfortable life for a little while and maybe give a little bit of that money to the church? I think the first, the first option is the one that's a little more of the hopeful biblical picture. Or is your dwelling, your shelter, your apartment, your home, is it just a place to kind of, kind of, a roof over your head until you get to your heavenly home? Or is it maybe instead a place to embody resurrection hope for your fellow dwellers in that house, your family, your neighbors, your neighborhood? Is your physical body just a collection of biology, just kind of this container to live within until someday you won't have to deal with it anymore? And so eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Or is it maybe your body maybe like ground zero in a sense for how God wants to have his renewing, restoring, reversing of the curse take place in how we handle our bodies in terms of 
food and drink and physical maintenance. Just call it maintenance. At my age, I, I feel like it's maintenance. Um, you know, and, and, and how we handle ourselves with our body in all aspects, even in our sexuality. The body in the Bible's New Testament view is the temple of the Holy Spirit. One way to look at it. One way we read about it. So maybe we have some Corinthian drift in that kind of way, and we need a healthy corrective. You know, a church, if, if there's a church, and if we became this kind of church where you assume that there's no corrective needed, you know, we have, we have the truth. You never hear us say, we don't know, because <laughs> we know. And we don't need corrective, because we're the realm of the non-corrective. If you ever see a church like that, that's a church very far from God. Even in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel, if you know some of that background, even when they were at their best, the pinnacle of being a, a godly society, King David, who was described as a man after God's own heart, needed a corrective from the outside. He needed Prophet Nathan to come in and say, you're, be, you're experiencing drift. You're becoming like the kings around you and just taking this neighbor's wife for yourself and making sure the husband is killed in battle. That's how the kings around you operate. And I don't know what that's going to mean for city life. You know, we've experienced months and months and months of social distance, just like the Corinthian church. What will it look like as we begin to gather and have fantastic conversations together out here today? Some of you will say, wait, are, are you vaccinated? I'm vaccinated. Okay, we, okay, maybe just, just here, like a little bit of, maybe take the mask off for a second. And, and others, you know, no, can you keep yours on? I'm not vaccinated or my kids or whatever. And we'll figure all those awkward things out, but as we talk and as we, what kind of correctives will we need? I don't know. Maybe we've drifted, you know, towards more individualistic expressions of faith, being more self-managed in your spiritual life. Maybe we've got a little too comfortable with virtual connecting. I doubt it. I think most of you are sick of it, right? How have we drifted apart? One thing we might really need and might find helpful in this season as a church is, is returning to that concept of the family of God. This is a biblical concept that you take the best of a family in this world, and some of you have great examples of this in your family, some of you don't, but if you take the best of relationships where you know you can the people you would call when you're really in trouble, the people that you know. You would just go and throw everything aside in a day to go help, or for a month, or for a year. That kind of behavior is what we do in the best examples of family. That's how the church is, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So whether if you're a Christian, that's kind of like a little nudge towards, okay, as we re-enter, is that your vision of how we connect with each other? That the church could be a place where, if you're Christians, that complete strangers to you 10 years ago can start to become the kind of people that you, you drive someone to dialysis or to cancer treatment once a week or something like that. You, you bring groceries over because you know they're compromised during COVID. I know that's a beautiful story of City Life Church during COVID that I've heard stories like that. And I didn't know you 10 years ago. I didn't know you 15 years ago, but now we're family. Maybe that's the direction that we'll go, brothers and sisters in Christ. But I don't know. I don't know what corrective we'll need, but let's pray that God will that, that God will create in us as we 
re-enter into physical embodied existence together, that would create beautiful examples of embodied spiritual community living out the trust and faith of the gospel. Dear God, this corrective, we know from your story, this is not an oppressive corrective. Because Jesus went to the cross already for our drift. And so may we, as a church, let your love and the love of Christ usher us back over and over again into the safety of following you, surrounded by your gracious merciful, forgiving love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.